You know, many of our favorite, most favorite stories have an element of deception in them. I submit to you as Exhibit A, Little Red Riding Hood. Are you familiar with this tale? Why would you tell this story to children, number one? It's a wolf who pretends to be the grandma, right? Well, first of all, the wolf pretends to be the Little Red Riding Hood and then eats the grandma, and then the wolf pretends to be the grandma so you can eat Little Red Riding Hood. Sweet dreams, <laughs> right? It's messed up. That's like later versions, they add this. There's like a huntsman who comes, a woodsman who comes in and rescues and like, then, you know, gets everybody out of the belly of the wolf. Not anatomically accurate, but nonetheless, uh, there you go. So, deception, the deception of the wolf. And the, the moral of the story, in case we don't know, is beware of strangers because sometimes strangers can be deceptive and do bad things. So, okay, fair enough. Or you can think about newer classics, like The Matrix. Also not a great bedtime story, but a, a story built on deception, where humanity has been deceived into thinking that they're living in this one reality, when all the while they're slaves to their computer overlords. Deception isn't just fiction. It's a part of stories we tell, because it is a part of life as we know it. We face deception all the time. And it's not just fiction, primarily because it's one of Satan's strategies to prevent us from worshiping Jesus on a daily basis. You know, we've been introduced here in Revelation 12 and 13 to this unholy trinity. First, we have the dragon, who is Satan, and Satan is raging against the Messiah, and now particularly Satan is raging against the church, trying to prevent the church from being effective, trying to prevent followers of Jesus from walking by faith. And then we were introduced then to this beast last week, the sea beast. And this beast uses uh, political authority and influence and power to, again, attack the church both directly and indirectly. And we see Satan using worldly governments in order to do that job to attack the church. And then we have now this morning the land beast. And so we've got a dragon and two beasts. It's a parody of the Trinity, the, the unholy Trinity that is seeking to prevent us from walking by faith. You see, Satan wants to deceive you. You need to be aware of that wolf. You need to be aware of that dragon. You need to be aware of the beasts. We have, to, we have to be vigilant, right? Because we live in a world where deception is a daily part of our existence. We're going to see this morning here in the second half of Revelation 13 that although there's a temptation every day to worship the beast, and there is, the only antidote, the only antidote for worship of the beast is worship of the lamb. There's only one road on which you can navigate this world of deception and temptation successfully. You're tempted to worship the beast every day, but the only safe place is worshiping the lamb. The only protection we have is staying close to the lamb. Now let's take a look here at verse 11 and unpack what's going on in this second part of the vision, or really third part of the vision, and then we'll talk about what it has to do with us. So looking again at verse 11, John writes, he says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. All right, this verse is really important as we understand this second beast. So the first beast last week was the sea beast. It came out of the sea, all right, caused all the problems. And now in this part of the vision, now we have another beast that climbs out of the land, comes out of a hole in the ground or something. 
And this beast is a little different. The first beast had seven, uh, seven uh, heads, like the seven heads of the dragon, so it still was dragon-esque. But this beast has two horns. Notice the description in verse 11, two horns like a lamb. Now, in Revelation, when we talk about a lamb, there's only one lamb we're talking about, right? This beast is meant to look like the lamb-ish, right? There's supposed to be a, a, some kind of pseudo-resemblance to the lamb as Jesus the Messiah. So it has these two horns like, like a lamb, but notably, it spoke like a dragon. In Revelation 12 and 13, there's only one dragon. And so we see this deception already at play in the unholy trinity as Satan seeks to influence and distract and, and deceive us into worshiping the beast, to worshiping him even, rather than worshiping the lamb. And it's going to be hard with the second beast. It's difficult sometimes to discern what's really going on there, but his voice gives him away because he sounds like the dragon. This beast is an expert in PR. Watch verse 12. It exercises all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and compels the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. Okay, so the second beast, the the land beast, is like the VP of PR for the first beast. Okay, and actually this is couched in religious terms. Later on in Revelation, this beast is referred to as the false prophet. So it's a religious work. This beast seeks to push the agenda of the first beast and of the dragon by compelling those who live on the earth to worship it. Now, just remember, okay, quick note. In Revelation, the phrase, those who live on the earth, it's equivalent to unbelievers. And so, while all the earth will worship the beast, uh, the idea, of course, is that except for those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We saw that last week. So here, this week, it's the same idea going forward. You've got this second beast, and he's pushing the agenda and compelling unbelievers to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound has been healed. And so that's a, a reference last week to the fact that that first beast um, took a blow at one of its heads, but then recovered, all right? Now that might picture a lot of different things. And so as we think about what this means, we can ask a couple questions. We want to ask, of course, what would the first readers have thought about as they read this? Those living in the Roman Empire, the seven churches that were addressed at the beginning of the book of Revelation. And we know with the first beast, they likely would have thought of the authority of the Roman Empire itself, Who's the biggest, baddest beast in their world? It's the Roman Empire. That's the one with all the authority. But the second beast is the the PR side of the Roman Empire. What is he talking about here? Well, you need to know this. In in the days that John wrote this this work, the the churches in those seven, seven towns that are addressed, those seven churches, most of those towns had temples for emperor worship built in them. So there was a temple that you would go to in that town to worship an emperor. The, 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 they call it the cult of emperor worship had grown significantly at this time in history. In fact, not long after Revelation was written, it would be illegal to not worship the emperor under Emperor Trajan later on in, in Roman history. That's just maybe a couple decades after this. So you can see that it was written in a time when emperor worship was the big deal. And so it's not, it's not in any way a stretch to say the first readers would have immediately thought about the fact that they lived in the empire of the beast, and in fact, they were being called to worship the head of that empire. 
And so there was someone whose job, it was the, you know, the, the chief priest, the chief promoter of the cult of the emperor that was trying to get everybody to participate in that. The problem with Christians is that they were stubborn. And Christians didn't want to worship the emperor. They didn't want to worship any of the other Greco-Roman gods. They kept insisting on only worshiping the God of the Bible. And so they didn't fit. It was a difficult fit. Now, the, the beast, of course, who was wounded and then healed, it could be a reference to the emperor Nero. It could be a reference to the emperor Calig- Caligula. It could be a reference to the empire itself as you know, Julius Caesar was assassinated. And is the empire going to go down? No, it, it, it comes back to life. This, you know, biblical commentators disagree on the specifics of that, but one way or another, we kind of see where the, the early church would have taken it. Now, some commentators think this only applies to the future and that there's a future beast who's the Antichrist, and that's what this is only about. And I think probably the best reading helps us to understand that it's actually applicable to the early church, it's applicable to us, and it may yet find its ultimate fulfillment in the Antichrist. But the fact is, if we say it's only a reference to the future, we might miss the fact that it has an important message for us today. Again, the significance is to watch out for beasts dressed like lambs. Watch out for fake lambs. Don't be deceived. Again, the only antidote for worship of the beast is true worship of the lamb. And when we worship the lamb, notably here in verse 11, we discern the dragon's voice. When we worship the lamb, we discern the dragon's voice. What are we talking about? We're talking about being aware whenever something religious or something that could be taken as religious is being presented, we're listening carefully to discern is that accurate and true and in accordance with the word of God. The thing about the second beast was it looked like a lamb, but when you listen carefully, his voice was the voice of the dragon. And so there's a, a call here to discernment for the church. That was true for the seven churches of Revelation. It's true for us today. It will certainly be true in the days leading up to the return of Jesus. False worship is often disguised as true worship. Again, that's the, that's the game plan for the unholy trinity. And so we have to be aware, especially to be aware of what's being asserted on a religious level. Okay, first century, imperial cult, Greco-Roman gods, that's not our struggle, okay? But in our day and age, we do find a lot of religious teaching that it's presented as positive and good, which is in fact deceptive and from Satan. The teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, I would put in this category. The teaching of Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses, I would put in this category. The teaching of Islam, or the Hindu religion, I would put in this category, where these are religions who do not adhere to the Word of God. They do, they do not build their beliefs based on the Word of God. They're built on the traditions of men. They're built on cultural beliefs. And what they teach is contrary to the Word of God. And so we need to understand that they might look good. You might even think of religions when you think of positive and good religious you know, uh, entities on earth, but listen for the voice. Is does the teaching of that religion match the teaching that we find in the Bible? There's your, there's your point of discernment. We could go on, though. There's such a thing in today as uh, in evangelical churches as something called the progressive church, which that's kind of the new thing, but the progressive church, it's not progress, it's regress, okay? It's, it's not, again, in tune with the Word of God or submissive to the Word of God. It's a, basically, it's pushing a secular political agenda, in the, in the garb of Christianity. You also find in the evangelical church the prosperity gospel that says that Jesus died to make you rich and so that you wouldn't have difficulty in life. 
And so we have to be careful that just because something comes in religious uh, clothing, it doesn't necessarily mean it's right or good. It might be dressed up like a lamb, but hey, be careful. If it sounds like a dragon, watch out. Pay attention. Again, when we worship the lamb, we discern the voice of the dragon, the dragon's voice. You know, but in America, there's not just the problem of religion. It's kind of like Rome in that sometimes our politics get religious. Now, we haven't had a, a temple built to Joe Biden just yet. I don't think there's a temple where you can go and worship Trump. Um, there are places you can go and visit commemorating, you know, uh, presidents of the past. And for some of us to visit the Reagan Library in Simi Valley is like, it's up there, right? I mean, it's, it's a good visit. But the fact is that sometimes our political fervor in this country gets to a fever pitch that is essentially religious. That our politics are our religion. Can I just encourage you this morning that that may have been very similar to what those seven churches were facing, where their neighbors were saying, you're not a good Roman unless you go to the, to the temple of the emperor and worship the emperor. So turn on Fox News and go to the temple. Turn on CNN and go to the temple, right? I mean, there, it, was a, it was this ideology that was pushed that you had to agree with certain political ideals. And if you did that, only then were you a good part of society. The problem back then is Christians, they're, they're different. They, again, they're stubborn. They refuse to bow the knee to worship the beast. I wonder, could that be said of you and me today? Are we different enough? Do we refuse to make a political ideology our basis of worship? There's another form of religion in our culture that's unique, and it's because we're so separated in many cases from the idea of formalized religion. You know, we live in the day where that phrase, I'm spiritual but not religious, that's like a, a tagline in, in our culture. But in many ways, what's happened today is that we do have, we all have a religious basis. Uh, it's, we're, fed to it, we're fed it from American media all the time. The most important entity that you could ever worship in your life is you. And so you do you. And you being, being true to yourself and living in light of whatever it is that you want to do, the cult of you, that may be the religion that you're tempted to worship the most. And sometimes the cult of you is dressed up like a lamb. There's a cross on that building where it's being proclaimed. It's being presented in terms of Christianity. But make no mistake, if you listen carefully, you can discern the dragon's voice. Don't forget in John chapter 10, Jesus said, My sheep hear what? My voice, right? In, in Acts 17, we find the Apostle Paul bringing the gospel to this town, this random town in northern Greece called Berea, okay? And they show up in Berea, and he preaches the gospel, and the Bereans, these are my people, just FYI, okay? We don't know how tall they were, but they're my people, all right? <laughs> so the Bereans, Paul brings the gospel to Berea, and he preaches this message, and they go, hold on, and they get their Bibles out. And they're like, we'll, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Hold on. And they, they go home, and they get out their copies of the Scriptures, and it says they examined the Scriptures to see if these things were so. They, they checked the Scriptures. They wanted to discern to see if what was being presented by someone who claimed to be a representative of God, bringing a, a religious message, they said, we're going to test that with the Scriptures. And, of course, they found it to be true. That's why that's called a noble thing that they did. These noble Bereans, they, they were more noble than the Thessalonians because they did that. They checked in the Word of God. Do you do that? 
When you're watching the news, when you're reading on social media, all the things that get, so many things that get posted, right? When, when you're uh, watching a movie or taking in a show, do you stop to think, wait a minute, what is the message of this media? And is it consistent with the Word of God? And where is it not consistent with the Word of God? And do I know? Are you discerning the dragon's voice? When we worship the Lamb, we will do that. We will stop to ask the question, hold on a second, what's going on? What's the agenda here? And again, we're not hiding from culture. We don't run away. No, we can say, okay, I can, I can interact with this and I can figure out what's going on here. Is it, is it promoting the truth or not? You see, growth in our knowledge of God through his word protects us from this false worship. But that growth in knowledge really leads to growth in faith and love. That we trust God more and we love God more. And that's what we're called to. Again, the only antidote for, antidote for worship of the beast is worship of the lamb. So beware fake lambs. This false religion, sometimes it comes with bells and whistles, or as we call them biblically, signs and wonders. This is a little scary. Watch this in verse 13. This is uh, the beast here. It also performs great signs. This is the, the, the land beast. It also performs great signs even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in front of people. Okay, pause. This false prophet who peddles this religion, okay, this, this false religion is accompanied by signs and wonders. That bringing fire down from heaven, I don't know if you remember, but in um, 2 Kings chapter 1, that is a mark of the genuineness of the prophet Elijah, where he can call this fire down. And so, okay, here there's a false prophet calling fire down. Uh-oh. How do you know the difference? Verse 14. This false prophet, it deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that it is permitted to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And now we're maybe thinking of Daniel where uh, Nebuchadnezzar sets up that, that, that political religious statue and calls everybody to worship this, this image. And so well, now this is what this second beast does for the first beast, sets up an image. But not just that, it gets even more interesting. In verse 15, it was permitted to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could both speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Again, this is a picture of this religious teaching about worshiping the emperor, and it's also including with it signs and wonders and even the ability to kill and just like the Spirit of God gives life, here in the unholy trinity, this land beast can give life to this, this image, this idol. You know, what does this picture? Well, we're continuing to see it pictures the deception of Satan in attacking the church. But here's the deal. Satan temporarily has authority to do signs and wonders. Now, that's interesting. Because for many people, signs and wonders are kind of the big deal of their faith. When we worship the Lamb, we not only discern the dragon's voice, but when we worship the Lamb, we also make sense of miracles. We make sense of miracles. This is not a new issue. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, okay, Deuteronomy 13, uh, in God's Word, there's a warning against being taken as- led astray by prophets, especially prophets that can do signs and wonders. And in, in verse 1 and 2 there, it talks about, okay, they can do these signs and wonders. And then in verse 3, it says, if they, if they do all these signs and wonders, but they don't teach something consistent with the previously revealed word of God, it says, don't listen to the words of this prophet. 
don't listen to them. Yeah, but they drove, they called down fire from heaven, just like Elijah. Yeah, but if they teach something different than what we find in the Word of God, don't listen to them. Yeah, but I mean, so they raised this person from the dead, and, and there were seven witnesses. I know, but if they teach something different from this gospel, don't worship them. Remember the Apostle Paul in Galatians says, I don't care if it's an angel from heaven who appears to you, okay, and the, gives you the whole deal, right? All the signs, all the wonders, all the miracles. If they preach a different gospel than you find, having been delivered from the apostles, then you reject that teaching. It's false. When we worship the Lamb, we make sense of miracles. In one particular wing of the church, the charismatic movement, there's, in some senses, an obsession with signs and with prosperity. And so there's this idea, well, the miracles are somehow kind of the, the greater, the highest you know, form of Christianity, and, and they are accompanied by prosperity. But you know what? If, if we're, all we're looking for is the sensational, all we're looking for is the emotional high and the miracles and all of that, we can easily be deceived. And so miracles or not, you check that teaching with the Word of God. That's our calling. Make sense of the miracles. Now, there's two categories of fake signs. One is actually fake signs, like TV healing kinds of fake signs, you know, where it's actually not real, and there's, there's like a trick that's being played to take advantage of people. There's unfortunately documented cases where uh, television preachers have used those kinds of scams. All my healings are real, so don't worry about it. But, uh, you know, the, that's the deal, that they, that they pretended to heal. They, they, they tricked the masses. Why would they do such a thing, Pastor Ryan? Well, they did it for money, right? They did it for fame and popularity and money. So sometimes they're fake signs. Sometimes they're genuine signs, which is more what's in view here, genuine signs, but those are signs that are empowered by Satan and are not necessarily authenticators of the truth. So you could actually see a miracle, and it could be a satanic work. That's why you have to be careful of fake lambs. That's why we have to know the Word of God and stay close to the Word of God here. Don't be gullible. Um, I had a friend who was at one of those TV healing services in the crowd, and, um, you know, the cameras are on, the, the show is on, and the guy's doing the, doing the show and, you know, doing all the stuff, all the healing stuff and slapping people around and all that, that entails, and... Um, Show gets over, cameras are off, right? Someone in the audience had a heart attack, okay? It's really sad. And so they called the paramedics. And th this is a true story. The guy who was the, the preacher was there, and he's posing for a picture with a bunch of people who had come to the service, right? And they're about to take the picture, and they had to kind of pause to let the uh, paramedics go through. And then the paramedics walk through, and then he leans in with a smile. I'm like, that's it. You want, a, you want a summary of the problem here? That's a problem. Because the power is only at work when the cameras are on? Is that the deal? Like, what's, what's really going on here? Again, the issue is not so much with the showmanship as much as it is with the content of the teaching. What's the basis of the teaching? And again, it's, it's a reality. Now, this was happening in the, in the early, days of the early church. Do you remember in Acts chapter Eight, that there was this guy, Simon, who was uh, practicing magic, basically, and, and uh, it was working wonders, and he was known to be a miracle worker, and then the apostles came to town, and he was like, I want that power, and they were like, hold on, buddy, let's, let's talk about it, right? So the fact is, the early church faced this, that there were miracle workings going on that were not necessarily markers of the truth, that it, it very easily could be, and I think is happening today, 
Sometimes you hear claims about miracles happening, and I'm just a little bit saying, okay, hold on. We don't know where those are coming from. What's the teaching that's involved in this? And we certainly know that this will be a mark of the work of the Antichrist towards the end, and that's made clear in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that the Antichrist will be a miracle worker at the end. And so one way or another, whether it's back then when this was written, or whether it's today, or whether it's yet in the future, we need to be ready to make sense of miracles as worshipers of the Lamb. Again, don't be gullible. The fact is, worshipers of the beast and worshipers of the Lamb don't mix. That's where it goes in verse 16 in this part of the vision. The second beast, the PR uh, director for the first beast, right? The land beast, what does he do? And it makes everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name or the number of its name. You might remember back in Deuteronomy how uh, when God's people were called to remember the the word of God, they were called to mark it as a sign on their foreheads and as a mark on their hands. And so probably this is a parody of that. But we also remember that in Revelation, there's already been a marking that's gone on, that the Lord has sealed his own, that he has marked his own. And the angel marked all believers that they would be protected from the wrath of God in Revelation chapter 7. And so as that positive marking is going on, there's also apparently a negative marking. Now, listen, the word that's used here for mark or stamp, it's the same word that was used when the, for the emperor's seal. They would put the emperor's seal on a document or the, the impression of the emperor on a coin. So again, we know that the first readers of Revelation would have associated this with the emperor. Well, what was the deal? If you're not loyal to the emperor, if you don't have that mark of allegiance, this is not probably a literal mark, it's a, it's a picture here of this idea that you have to be accepted in, in the culture as being loyal to the, to the emperor in order to function economically. Well, how, how did that work in the first century? Well, they had, I've told you before, these trade guilds, okay? And so different craftsmen would have a guild that they were a part of, but the trade guild had to participate in the worship of the emperor or the worship of a Roman uh, goddess or god. And so if you were a Christian and you were in that trade guild and you said, I'm not going to that worship service for the emperor, I'm not going to that deal, they said, you can't be a part of our trade guild anymore, which meant, guess what? Now you weren't getting paid anymore, which was... You know what? If you're a Christian and you're not going to bow to worship the idols, you can't have a shop in this marketplace. And now there's an economic disincentive to worship Jesus. There's peer pressure from the culture that says, if, you're not, if you don't have allegiance to the emperor, if you're not going to worship our gods, then you're kind of a problem. See, in the Roman Empire, they didn't really mind adding gods to the collection, but they certainly were opposed to you saying, no, I won't worship. I won't be loyal to Rome by worshiping the emperor. So this mark, what is it? It represents allegiance to the emperor. It represents allegiance, in some senses, to the beast in any form. So if we're going to worship the lamb, well, there's no way of getting around it. We have to count the cost. When we worship the lamb, we count the cost. It might impact your career to stay true to the lamb. It might impact your ability to earn a particular degree in academics. It might impact the degree of uh, acceptability that you have with your neighbors or your friends or your family. Churches can lose their tax-free status pretty quickly. By the way, I don't know if you know, but in California, there was uh, a law. It didn't pass, but it was presented nonetheless in the California state legislature to remove tax benefits from churches because of 
the teachings of certain churches about the wrongness of homosexuality and teachings about gender distinction. And so, you know, it's like, wow, it's, yeah, there, it can happen. It's a thing. But here's the deal. We live with that pressure. And so the question is, wait a minute, am I a sellout? Like literally, have I sold out? Have I sold Jesus out for the sake of my career or the sake of my friend group? Am I compromising my faith for, uh, for economic or academic gain? Am I participating in idolatry just to keep my job or get a better job? Am I willing to be known as a Christian publicly? You see, the mark of the beast is all about allegiance, right? And, and Rome was okay as long as you could show your card. I'm a card-carrying Roman. Like that, I, I, I play ball. But Christians couldn't do that because they refused to worship the emperor. And I, I just wonder if maybe we're a little too quick to assume that the gods of our land are neutral. And we're just, I just want to blend in, right? I just want to fit in with my neighbors. I just want to, I just want to get the promotion. And, you know, if you're going to work in this field, you have to do these certain things, you know, you, and I know it's maybe not best, but if I don't do it, my boss is not going to like me or I won't get the promotion or whatever. You know, we live in a culture, there's so much peer pressure to, uh, to toe the line. I mean, I know uh, you're very aware of the fact that this is Pride Month. There's a lot of pressure to affirm the world's message about sexuality. In fact, in our culture, it's interesting, if you watch on media, the presentation of people who believe you shouldn't have sex with someone until you're married, like that whole viewpoint, in, in media, it's like quaint. It's like, oh, it's so silly. And it's, it's viewed as like a, a joke or, or like either they're laughed at or it's so like interesting. Oh, wow, what's, you know, that's so, like they time traveled, right? It's so bizarre. Because there's a question, where's your allegiance? And obviously, if you're a normal person, you would understand that that's no big deal, right? I mean, that's, that's the thinking. If you, if you are a normal American, you affirm these certain basic values. You know, sometimes we get so worried about the mark of the beast being a microchip. Has anybody ever heard that one? The mark of the beast is a microchip? Yeah, or it's your credit card? Oh, you're in trouble. My credit card, I don't even have to put it in anymore. I just set it on it, and it beeps, right? Like, like that's the mark of the beast. And we're worried about whether or not the mark of the beast is a microchip. All the while, maybe we're making those compromises every day, showing that our allegiance is truly with our culture rather than with the lamb. When we worship the Lamb, we count the cost. I don't know what it's going to cost you to follow Jesus, but it's going to cost you something. It might cost you everything. Navigating these waters requires great skill and apparently a calculator. Watch verse 18. This calls for wisdom. Yes, it does. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast because it is the number of a person, its number is 666. What? <laughs> what are we talking about? Okay, a couple things here, historically. There is this uh, ancient practice of assigning letters numbers. It's not brain surgery, right? And then if you do that, then names, right? Your name is made up of certain letters. You could figure out your number, the number of your name. There's a piece of Roman graffiti from the first century, and it says, I love the girl whose number is 545. And if you add up the letters in Lindsay's name, it adds up to 545. No, I, I don't even know what your number is, babe. Uh-oh, maybe I'm in trouble. Yeah, figure that out. 
You know, so it's like, you know, they, they would add up the numbers. There's an ancient uh, document. It dates a little later than Revelation, but uh, it has a list. It's a religious document, and it has a list of Roman emperors listed by their number, which is where they add up the letters, right? Now, this one's a little tricky because 666, if you take Latin letters, it doesn't automatically come up with any known Roman emperor, although the Hebrew spelling, it does actually come up with one Roman emperor, the emperor Nero which is very plausibly the, the reference. The seven churches are living in the Roman Empire. They struggle worshiping the beast. They struggle. They're going to be tempted to worship the beast. And here he says, calculate. John says, listen, you, you're going to have to calculate it, but you can figure it out. And the number is 666. And so possibly that's the reference. It could be a reference to Nero. Now, some commentators think, well, maybe it's not a reference to any specific leader. It's just a reference to the fact that any leader that claims to be God and claims to be worshipped, you know, obviously that one is less than ideal. And so like 777 will be ideal. So 666 is less than ideal. So maybe that's that. Of course, some people think it's, it refers to the name of a yet-to-be leader, the Antichrist, this future leader. And so the idea is what? Well, the idea is that the church is called to be wise and what does this mean? It doesn't mean you know what 666 refers to. To be wise here means we are aware of the scheme of the unholy trinity. We are aware of the scheme. We are paying attention to what's going on around us, and we are interpreting it through a spiritual grid, namely the scriptures. So we know that there will be, in positions of power, people who will try to influence us in ways that look acceptable and even look like the Lamb, and yet ultimately it's not coming from the Lamb. Ultimately it's deception. Right? And so we're aware. We're on our game. When we worship the Lamb, we know the number. What I mean by know the number is we are aware of the scheme. We are aware of the scheme. The Antichrist will be an actual person. We know this. This is taught in the Bible. 1 John chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 John verse 7. We have this teaching about the, the coming Antichrist who will lead the world in rebellion against God. Again, that may be the ultimate referent here of this part of Revelation. But don't forget what the Apostle John says in 1 John 2. He says, yes, we know the Antichrist is coming, but many Antichrists have already come. So there's a present-day warning spiritually here saying you need to be careful of this scheme. You need to be aware of what's going on. Again, whether 666 refers to Nero or a yet-to-come leader, either way, the message for us is the same. Be careful. Now, how do we do that? First of all, brothers and sisters, cling to the gospel. We need to stay close to the truth of the gospel. There is only one lamb, right? There is only one lamb. And the closer you are to him, the better off you will be. By the way, why is it so significant, of course, that Jesus is the lamb? Because it reminds us of the gospel, that he died for our sins and rose from the dead. And any movement that calls you to commit itself to it rather than to Jesus, right, that movement is faulty. And even though it may not be intended by its leaders, ultimately it could be a satanic ploy to try to distract you from what matters most, to get wrapped up in your job, to get wrapped up in, in the politics, to get wrapped up in whatever instead of being wrapped up in following Jesus. So cling to that gospel. And maybe you're, you're here this morning and you've never trusted in the Lamb. Maybe today's the day where the lights go on for you and you realize, wait a minute, hold on, I have been drinking from a fountain of lies. 
And I haven't trusted Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. Well, trust in Jesus and cling to Jesus. Secondly, watch out for, for lies. Just, again, this is kind of the, the same point we made earlier, but just be aware of what's being taught. And, and it's okay. Get your Bible out and check it out, right? Three, refuse to be impressed. Uh, the miracles, that, that whole part of this discussion, refuse to be impressed. Go, okay, but what are they teaching? Okay, there, a miracle happened, maybe, but what are they teaching? What's, what's the content of this proclamation? Who's being worshipped here? And then fourthly, and maybe most significantly in light of the message of Revelation overall, watch your life. Because your behavior, how you think, what you say, what you do, that will reveal what you're worshiping. We know the only antidote for worship of the beast is worship of the lamb. But your life will tell the story. Your life will reveal where your allegiance lies. And I think, I think that an obsession with identifying who does 666 refer to? By the way, you want to hear some of these? Okay, I can give you some of these. Uh, John F. Kennedy, when he was uh, nominated to run for uh, president by the Democratic Party, was nominated by 666 votes. Yeah, that didn't take long for somebody to latch on to that one, right? Um, the World Wide Web, in Hebrew, the, the letter that's equivalent of W is, stands for the number six. www dot what? <laughs> 666, right? Um, what's another one? Ronald, uh, Ronald Wilson Reagan. There are six letters in his first, middle, and last name. Coincidence? I think not. Right? I mean, the Reformation, they were convinced. They knew. And they were maybe a little closer to home because they thought, they knew that the Antichrist would be a religious leader. And so they knew it was Pope Leo X. Done. Like, sold. Uh, the day after Barack Obama won the presidential election in 2008, the, the winning, I'm, I'm not making this up, the winning lottery number for some lottery in the state of Illinois was 666. And everybody's like going, what? There it is, right? And brothers and sisters, I'm here. I've been sent by God this morning to tell you it doesn't matter. We don't know. And you can't know. And really, it's not the point that you would know. The point is that you would be aware of the scheme. And I think sometimes Satan, by the way, someone figured out that Barney the dinosaur was somehow the Antichrist. And I don't know how that one worked out. I don't know where the 666 came from. Like six albums with six songs or six outfits. I don't know, whatever it was. But, I mean, it's, it gets absurd. And you know what? I think Satan is intentionally seeking to stoke the, the fire on that kind of thinking to distract us from what really matters. So you'll get all worked up over so-and-so's the Antichrist, and you're not thinking about, wait a minute, am I worshiping the Lamb today? And we're not thinking about how am I treating my family? How am I functioning in my workplace? How am I, how am I handling my situation? No, I'm, so I'm worried about what this headline means and how it relates to the Antichrist. Well, hold on a second. You've got to watch out for fake lambs. Irenaeus, one of my friends, he goes way back, 2nd century A.D. He said it this way. And Irenaeus wrote, I mean, he, his most famous work is Against Heresies. So he was writing against some of these early Christian uh, aberrations of Christianity, some false teaching. But he said this about the 666 deal and the mark of the beast. He said, it is more certain and less hazardous to await fulfillment of the prophecy. He's basically saying you're on better ground if you just say, okay, Lord, I'm just going to trust you no matter what, and we'll know who it is when we need to know. 
And I think that is a very good and healthy spiritual approach to this issue. To say, okay, Lord, regardless of who the Antichrist is, I don't want to fall for the scheme. I don't want to get sucked in to worshiping the beast. Whether it's the government, whether it's a religious leader, whether it's something new, I want to stay faithful. Irenaeus also said, we can be successful in our mission as Christians with, two, with the two hands of the Christian life, the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And he was on to something there. Because at the end of the day, we can't know with certainty so much, but God has gifted us with so much more. And the Spirit of God using the Word of God is what you need to navigate your life right now. Because the devil is scheming. The unholy trinity is at work. Uh, I remember years back, I was, we went to a Dodgers game um, out, in, uh, out in L.A. And uh, you know when you go to a, a sporting event, you know, even we were at Red Bulls last night, you wear, you wear the colors of the team that you support, right? And if you don't, what's wrong with you, right? You know, there's something wrong with that. But every once in a while you go to a game, there'll be a, a healthy amount of fans that'll show up with the other colors on. Right? And I've heard some stories about Yankees, Red Sox, and I'm not going to tell those stories. Okay? I'm going to tell a Dodgers-Giants story because I lived it. Okay? So we were in L.A. The Dodgers-Giants like the West Coast version of the Yankees-Red Sox. Right? That's the, the level of that rivalry. Except out there because of the gangs, they actually shoot people. So, um, so, so we're at this Dodgers game, and uh, sea of blue and white, you know, the whole deal. And there, there are a few Giants fans. The Giants, just in case you didn't know, the Giants are the team of the devil. Their colors are black and orange. Okay, so yeah, right there. The black alone sets it apart. So there's this, there's this uh, group of Giants fans that came in, and I am sad to say that they were not treated well by Dodger, the Dodger faithful. Uh, they, were, they were mocked for that, for wearing those colors. And uh, in fact, at one point, it did get a little dicey. And so there were, there were some blows that happened in that sporting event, which is, of course, sad and ridiculous. But the point was that these Giants fans were brave enough to wear these colors to the game which I thought was remarkable because maybe in some games it's no big deal, but Dodgers-Giants, like you go into Dodger Stadium wearing Giants colors, it, there's going to be trouble. Right? And they knew that going into the game. And, and I kind of think that's the way this vision functions for the church. Like, we're not the home team. And we're gonna, you're going to be known for your allegiance to the Lamb, and you're not going to be able to hide it, which means you need to expect the heat. You need, to, you need to expect that it's going to be tough and that there is going to be a moment when you might have to count the cost in a way that you don't want to, that's not pleasant. At the end of the day, the question is not, am I accepted by the crowd? At the end of the day, the question is, am I loyal to the one who matters most? There is an antidote to worship of the beast. and It's only worshiping the lamb. If we're worshiping the lamb, we can't go wrong. When we do so, what are we doing? We're discerning the dragon's voice. We're making sense of miracles. We're counting the cost, and we're knowing the number. Would you pray with me, and we'll ask God to help us. Lord, we thank you for this um, part of your word, which has some, Lord, some aspects of it that are just uh, hard for us because of our curiosity, Lord. Sometimes we want to know. But we thank you that we see that there is relevance for us today. Even though there's even different ways we might understand how these things are or will be fulfilled, Lord, we can be confident in the overall message, which is so clear. You are preparing your church to live in hostile territory. 
And Lord, we, we are in hostile territory. And so we ask for your help today. That you would help us to grow in our discernment, Lord, of false teaching, especially religious false teaching. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be aware of how our culture thinks religiously, even without the trappings of religion. The worship of self, Lord, the worship of political power. And Lord, we pray that we would, we would discern the dragon's voice. Lord, we pray that we wouldn't be gullible, especially when signs and wonders are offered as proof of a teaching's truthfulness. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be ready to count the cost, even if it means economic persecution or suffering in our reputation. And Lord, we pray that we would never forget that Satan is always scheming and that short of your return, Lord, that we have to be aware of his schemes, ready to see how he's trying to trick us. Lord, when it's all said and done, the bottom line is worship. Will we worship you? And so we ask that you would help us to value you above all else, to put you first in our hearts. And Lord, we pray that that would lead to a transformed life as we function in our workplaces, at school, in our families. And Lord, may we be ready to stand out for your glory. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus, the only Lamb. Amen.